Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Richard D. Pepperman has worked in film for more than half a century. His credits include work as an editor, post-production supervisor, and consultant on features, documentaries, industrials, music videos, and commercials. Richard has taught workshops and seminars at Film Video Arts, Pratt Institute, and the New School University. He teaches the art of editing at the School of Visual Arts and is on the faculty of the MPS Directing Program. Richard has taught an online live seminar course, The Aesthetics of Editing, and is a consultant in the postgraduate program in the film school at Griffith University in Brisbane, Australia. His current book, Everything I Know About Filmmaking I Learned Watching Seven Samurai, is now available at Amazon and Michael Weesey Productions. And Carol, your book is also published by Michael Weesey, right? Hi, Claire. Richard and I are most fortunate to know uh, Michael Weesey and get to work with him. He's a brilliant publisher. I'm so happy that uh, we're both published by Michael. And I have to say, Richard, that this is a brilliant book about master filmmaker Akuro Kurosawa. What I like most about your book is the way you start with the titles of the film. I thought you might start with the first scene, but you actually bring me into the titles and talk about how plain yet effective and actually artistic they are. And then you go into um, every scene in the book. I'm sorry, the book coincides with every scene in the film. So it's quite an extravaganza to be able to sit there and watch the film and be taught about the film with your book. And I really thank you very much for writing this book. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. One of of the reasons um, that I did begin with the titles, uh, well, basically, whatever the filmmaker wants the audience to watch is part of the film. Uh, But the titles... Uh, were a good uh, lesson in teaching um, how one might define story. Uh, in, in beginning work on this book, uh, I, I ended up, of course, looking in the dictionary and was somewhat surprised to find that, in, for the most part, dictionaries simply define story by providing synonyms. Uh, and if you uh, look up one of the synonyms, they'll include the word story, change the synonyms. Uh, and so what I found uh, was that Kurosawa makes very clear uh, several of the uh, essential definings of, uh, of, of story and storytelling, one of which is uh, he establishes a routine, a pattern, uh, which exists in the opening credits. That is, that bandits have been roaming the countryside uh, and doing great harm and stealing crops uh, and stealing people and killing people. Um, and that establishes the pattern. Um, and, and then, of course, just from the title, one might guess that samurai are going to get involved 
in an effort to save and protect the village. And so there is an intrusion, whether for positive or negative, there's an intrusion into that pattern. And the intrusion is the villagers are encouraged to go to uh, a town uh, where there are many unemployed samurai because of the civil war strife of the 16th century in Japan. Um, and, and so that helped me understand a very simple way to define story. There's a pattern and then an intrusion for good or ill uh, into that pattern. Uh, and that gives us the ideas of why we're meeting these characters or a character now. Uh, so it was very helpful in finally being able to define story, which before before work on this book, I didn't find quite so easy. You kind of know a story if you hear it or see it, but how to define it was not quite so simple. Yes, that is brilliant. You're absolutely right. You You have an understanding of the general feeling of what's going on, and I like that, you, and you get comfortable. I like it when I know exactly where I am and what's um, some of the things that are coming up so that I can relax. I always believe when I watch his films, I want no interruptions, no phone calls, no no anything, and I get prepared for a two- or three-hour sojourn that I am taken into his world. Did you Do you find it that way? Oh, yes, yes, and uh, interestingly... Um, I would have guessed that after 45-plus years of working in film, um, I, I might have had a, a, a different perspective uh, on Seven Samurai because I, I saw it in New York uh, sometime between 59 and 1961. It opened in New York in 1956. I did not see it then. And I believe I, where I saw it was uh, either on the Upper West Side. There were several art theaters in the late 50s. Uh, well, they were throughout Manhattan um, and some in the village. Uh, the Bleecker Street Cinema was a place I frequented, so it could have been there. Um, and, of course, I saw, as most people uh, did, the abbreviated form of the film, abbreviated, uh, I think it was 160-some-odd minutes, um, rather than the original release of 207. Um, and I, I, I was only interested in, in being a, a, a member of a film audience at the time I saw it. Um, and so I would have guessed in, in watching it again, working on the book, I would have seen so many more uh, flaws, uh, elements that I would not, and most people would not be aware of, uh, at, just as a lay audience, um, but rather, uh, the opposite happened. I just was ever more impressed with how remarkable the work is, and and that you know, if if one wants, can use the word genius, and I, I think uh, sometimes it's it's uh, too easily used. I think Akira Kurosawa was an absolute genius uh, as a as a writer, as a director, and as a film editor. I totally agree with you. There's there's really no one like him. But however, I am a big John Ford fan too, and I often wonder who came first. You know, time wise, with some of the work that they did, there's similarities. Um, 
John Ford used uh, loved to use the elements of rain, and I know in particular they, one of the, his films, I think it was uh, Tie Yellow Ribbon, where um, they were all out on location in, in really terrible conditions, but he saw a storm coming. He made them all get into costumes, get out on the horses, and he photographed that magnificent lightning storm with all the troops going by. Mm-hmm. And I can just imagine what what the actors had to say about that. But it's uh, it's a magnificent scene. I really love it. And by the same token, Kurosawa has always got rain. It seems like when there's something depressing going on and then the rain just adds to it, or the wind is blowing and making you feel the things that the film is bringing to you the characters are sad or they're forlorn and i don't know of any other filmmakers that have used uh the uh the outdoors as much in yeah. their films as these two yeah and you know what i'm just it's interesting you bring up um she wore a yellow ribbon um because i saw i saw that film uh and i remember where and uh and when it was 1948 in Radio City Music Hall, and for a reason I will never uh, learn, uh, my mom is no longer alive. But it was very unusual that my mother took me. Uh, my father didn't go, uh, nor did my sister. So this is a very unusual. I'm not sure what was going on, but my mother took me uh to see she wore a yellow ribbon with John Wayne a John Ford directed film uh and Kurosawa got to see these films in Japan uh after the second world war uh one of the interesting uh points in his biography uh is that surprisingly he was very happy that Japan lost the war he despised the imperial military uh, attitudes and uh, members uh, of that government in Japan. Um, and so he was very relieved uh, with the American occupation and and then uh, got to see so many of these wonderful films. I, I think the, the, other, the other interesting connection, of course, is that both John Ford and Akira Kurosawa uh, frequently... Uh, dealt with themes of uh, male bonding uh, and obligations and sacrifice and responsibilities. Um, I I think that may have been uh, something that uh, Kurosawa came to uh, quite naturally, and it was uh, then encouraged in in the films of John Ford that he saw. Yes, I totally agree with you. And the framing... The framing that John Ford did was incredible. I don't know if it's true, but I had a story about a, a filmmaker who wanted to work with Ford, and he said, "Look at the look at some of these pictures. He had different shots uh, blown up in stills on his wall. What do you see there?" And uh, the man made some comments, and he said, "You come back to me when you're not afraid to set the camera." at any height to show large skies or large earth. And uh, that's what he did. I mean, he's, he put the camera in some of the strangest places, one time in the middle of a stream, I know. But Kurosawa is, uh, does the same thing. His painting is incredible. Right, 
Right. Yeah, and it also, of course, was a time uh, only a de- decade to two after the discovery of uh, being able to record the human voice and keep it in synchronization to to the picture, um, and and so there was a, an effort somehow automatically pursued to uh, bring film into the realm of what is uh, theater rather than cinema. It was something that um, Eisenstein was very concerned about when when he got word that the, that the German engineers had developed a recording device so that the human voice can be used on film. And he was very concerned that cinema would now uh, lose... Uh, lose its path that it was on to try to understand uh, what he would call the, the you know, theories of montage and the juxtaposition of images or to, and tell a story uh, via pictures. Um, and so it was unusual. Uh, Ford wanted to go out with the camera and Kurosawa wanted to go out with the camera, uh, <laughs> getting away right. from an interior venue. Yes, exactly. It's wonderful. Mm. Well, I really appreciate the book you've written. I think that this using your book um, and watching the Seven Samurai film allows you to be uh, instructed as if you were sitting there with your instructor. You can almost ask questions practically because the answers are right there. And it's really, to me, it's better than having a lesson in a class or something because you can replay the scene, you can stop when you want, and really absorb the information. So is it your editing background that led you to write the book in this manner? Well, um, one of the things I've always been curious about uh, is uh, the creative process and and how it unfolds. Uh, I, and I, I try uh, having students uh, more enthusiastic about the process rather than the finishing of their work to just uh, be open to all of the wonderful accidents as such that uh, happen. And 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 so uh, when I started uh, writing about film. And, and this book was no exception, um, I was just very aware of trying to understand uh, what form uh, the material needed to find. Um, and and it's, it's, it, the book turned out in a very different uh, form and structure than, than I initially uh, had figured. I figured to uh, list all of the collaborative topics uh, in the art of making a film, uh, topics that would range from cinematography to directing to screenwriting to editing, um, and even acting and production design, and and that then I would find um, the material in Kurosawa's film to illustrate some of those topics. Uh, But, but of course, it it just very quickly... uh, became uh, clear to me that this would just produce chaos, that unless unless I could structure the book to follow the film, uh, it would be terribly difficult, if not impossible, to make any sense of uh, what I was writing and have to go back and forth uh, to scenes. And so I thought uh, what I would do uh, is watch the film several times 
just take notes if something popped up in my head, but just watch the film and don't think about writing the book. Uh, and, and then, of course, the idea of lesson learned happened because uh, Michael Weesey, who uh, inspired the book, and to be more precise, Michael Weesey's daughter, Julia, inspired the book. Uh, uh, Michael called me. He was washing dishes. Uh, he recalled from Penzance, England. He called while doing dishes with this idea that came to him because his daughter, when I think she was nine, somehow got to watch Seven Samurai over and over and over again. Uh, and then at the age of 12, or maybe even younger, uh, decided she was going to try doing her very first film. Uh, and so she made use of and told her dad that she's using whatever she learned watching Seven Samurai, which is uh, how this idea uh, came to be. Um, and, of course, so Michael, coming up with the title, Everything I Know About Filmmaking, I learned watching Seven Samurai. It was amazing to me how long it took before I because I focused on learned um, in the title, uh, and that became lesson learned, uh, which is which is used some, sometimes a half dozen uh, times, mostly two or three, and on occasion one with each of the DVD or Blu-ray chapters. So there would there will be a pause uh, after some account description and and uh, the. The stills from the film were reproduced beautifully uh, by Michael uh, for the book. Uh, and then there will be a paragraph or two or three explaining what we might learn from what we just saw and heard. Uh, so uh, that, part, that part for me is the most fascinating, to just be open. Um, and lots of people, yes. I think, in the arts, most especially when they get older, will advise younger people I don't know how how well they could adhere to this advice, uh, but to be able to work with doubt, to be able to work with uncertainty, is really essential to the creative process and discovery. So that's that's what happened while I was working on the book. Oh, I see. This is brilliant. Well, what we want to do is uh, talk about uh, what you say there are vital points to Kurosawa's storytelling. So, um, and his because of his strategies and and several scenes that illustrate these. So, let's cover these vital points in the talk today. The first one is not connecting the dots. So, explain that to us. Okay. Yeah. Um... This this idea came uh, uh, most especially with the world uh, eagerly paying attention to intelligence gathering and intelligence uh, agencies um, trying to keep uh, all of us, many of us, most of us safe. Uh, and and frequently on the news, I would hear uh, comments uh, when some terrible event occurred. Uh, they would point out what the intelligence agencies knew, uh, but somehow they didn't connect the dots. Uh, and so, of course, it, it makes it clear, I would think, that connecting the dots is important. But in working on this book and watching Kurosawa's uh, structuring of storytelling, I realized that at the heart of great storytelling is not connecting the dots. 
Um, and it, it serves multiple purposes. The most important is, of course, it engages an audience into what I would describe as a thinking, feeling uh, sense of being while you're watching. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one example because it also uh, follows to a next important point, which is the impact uh, of information learned in the past tense by an audience rather than uh, in the present tense. And the film starts off with this. Uh, when the bandits arrive overlooking the village from uh, the heights down into the valley, uh, they realize that they've already uh, been to this village before. They've already stolen crops. And so they decide, uh, as they kind of circle about on the edge of this cliff, uh, that they'll come back uh, when the next crop is due to steal the crop. Uh, and when they ride off, suddenly a bundle of uh, of of what would probably be kindling tied with cord starts to move and it starts to rise and we realize one of the village farmers has overheard the bandit's plan. Uh, we see his face. He's terribly shocked and upset. Um, and then he turns and uh, Kurosawa in the film uses a wipe, which is a frame moves across the screen, replacing the previous scene and beginning the next scene. There's a wipe. And then we are still in an above angle shot looking down into the village. Uh, and the people in the village are gathered in the village center, uh, and we can hear uh, many people crying and moaning. One woman in particular uh, is, is, is nearly cursing the gods for the despair that uh, they seem to have to endure. Um, and here's a case where the dot was not connected. We can connect it. That is, we don't see the farmer run into the village and warn everybody, advise everybody, inform everybody about what he just heard. That's left out. So when, when we come to the village and all of the, the people in anguish gather together, uh, we know the farmer has told them. We don't have to listen and watch as he tells them. And so we connect those dots. And because we have learned this in the past tense, he has told them already, it also helps avoid uh, some very unnecessary and pretty obvious redundancies. Uh, that is, don't the audience should not have to sit and listen and watch what they already know uh, for the most part. Um, there always are some exceptions, which makes this even more challenging. But for the most part, th there's no reason for an audience that knows something other characters don't know. Uh, to have to sit and listen again while other characters are caught up in the information we have. Uh, uh, so exactly. Because, Do yeah, not connect. Yeah. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, um, they're, they're, it's, it's basically a very smart understanding of how to use dramatic irony, which is essential for the audience to be engaged emotionally uh, in the story.
Uh, one other example, which uh, quickly to get to not connecting the dots, uh, is, of course, when uh, the villagers go to consult with the old wise man of the village, uh, who is the one who initiates the idea that they have to go and find samurai to protect the farms. Um, and there again, there's a wipe. And the next scene, which comes across the screen, uh, there is a march of uh, samurai in a town, with the, and we realize four of the farmers representing the village have come to a town. We don't see them en route. There is no traveling to the town. Um, it, they are in the town trying to decide how they might determine which would be the most sensible samurai to approach. Um, but later in the film, um, Kurosawa takes us on a quite a long journey back from the town to the village again with samurai who have finally uh, been engaged by the village farmers. Uh, and, and that's an, another important point that I, I came to note uh, in Kurosawa's work, which is, I think, essential to great filmmaking, uh, is the use of asymmetry. Uh, that is, somehow we automatically identify form with a, in a very symmetrical uh, formal balance rather than the, the great impact in cinema uh, is to find an asymmetrical way uh, to have a hold form. Uh, and that, that, what, what that way also does is, and Kurosawa is brilliant at this, it, it provides us with a feel of spontaneity, almost to the point that you might suspect if you watch the film again, something not quite the same would happen at any given moment. Um, there's a wonderful example of this in the film uh, during the bandits' efforts to attack the village. Uh, at one point, they're retreating, and one of the bandits' horses is so panicked and spooked by what has happened, uh, it starts spinning around, riding back into the village. So suddenly when the farmers have thought they've driven the bandits off from this, pre this new attack, uh, here comes one of the bandits back again. And, and, of course, the bandit had no interest in riding back into uh, the battle. Uh, and, and, of course, he's now caught in the village because his horse, uh, almost as if it had not followed production uh, and screenplay protocol, just went riding back <laughs> into the village. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And that took us, that that became uh, a dramatic point, and we also found something symmetri symmetrical here, and balance is, was off balance, is that right? It was shocking. Right, right. That, you know, there, there's, there's a real, real, you know, I think one example I've used, uh, and then, of course, I was surprised how few students have ever heard of Alexander Calder. Um, and, of course, when I was... Uh, growing up, uh, he was very famous, and most especially to even little kids of my generation because of his mobiles, you know, uh, these wonderful, mo frequently red, black, and yellow uh, shapes that might look to be a fin or a sail, 
uh, and they're joined by multiple wires, and they're all different shapes, hanging on wires at all different angles, and yet they do balance. If there is a center point, uh, and when they're at one point, the Washington, the National Museum in Washington had one of the largest of uh, his mobiles. Some some of the shapes could fit a room. Uh, it it hangs and is balanced, but it is all asymmetrical components, uh, and yet still comes to a balance. And I think that's that's something else I, that Kurosawa does brilliantly. I also suspect that uh, if we could sit and talk to him, he might say, I've never thought of that uh, at all. This is not something that happens consciously. Um, th- this, might, this, might, this might be simply the result of uh, someone watching a film too many times. Uh, but but be- because, because I, I've been teaching, uh, I, I thought it really is important to try to understand and to be able to explain to some extent what it is that makes for great work, uh, rather than simply say to a student, based on perhaps my taste differences than theirs, that I don't think this moment in your film works, or I think this moment is wonderful, it would be nice to be able to uh, understand why something might very well be wonderfully done. And that was one of the great pleasures I I had in uh, sitting and watching uh, Seven Samurai and, and, and interviews with uh, Kurosawa. There's a wonderful two-hour interview with him uh, on the DVD and Blu-ray Criterion Collection edition. Okay, the DVD, and it's the same title. Yes. Seven Samurai. Yes. And it's uh, a two-hour interview with Kurosawa. Great. Yep. I'll look for that. Yeah, and I think yes, he was, he was great, in his, yeah, he was in his uh, maybe mid eighty. I think it may have been done only a couple of years before he passed away. All right, that's wonderful. Um, okay, so to stay on the vital points, um, let's go to the understanding the focal points of com- compositions and the cutting incentives or motive promoted by the eyes of the character and the audience. Right. Well, I'll give you a few examples. There's a, a moment early uh, in the arrival of the samurai to the village, and uh, I believe uh, the samurai who is sitting and kind of crouched outside of the shelter that they've been given as their house uh, in the village uh, one of the village leaders, whose name is Rikichi, has allowed them to use his house, and he has moved to stay at a barn. Uh, and the samurai are gathered, and there's a heavy rain falling. I, I believe it's Gorobe. Uh He is looking out at the rain, and he is in the foreground. Um, and then there's a cut to a, a closer shot of him, and, of course, what goes by without any visibility at all, uh, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, use of a join based on where, where will the audience's eyes be looking. Um, uh, b- because if you don't look where your eyes instinctively want to look, and so if you look at this cut several times, you'll be able not to look where your eyes instinctively look, 
you will see one of the other samurai, um, his name is Hayachi, uh, who is at that time sewing together a, a battle banner for the samurai to use in their uh, fight against the bandits. Uh, and you'll see there's a complete mismatch of him uh, and some more subtle mismatches of the other samurai as they, uh, their bodies uh, move towards the background of this house shelter. Uh, and, and it's because of both the movement of Gorobai, uh, which attracts our eye, and watching his face and his eyes. And so what Kurosawa uh, then proceeds to do uh, is that whenever uh, the, he, he knows instinctively, if not absolutely consciously, that the audience is bound and determined to watch the eyes of a character. And the rhythms of the cuts and the joining of compositions remarkably are motivated and it creates what I would consider a visual logic to the order of the shots. They're not random at all. Uh, they give incentive to the cut. Uh, it's kind of an expansion of the ideas of point of view. Okay. That's incredible. Well, um, I think one of the most remarkable brilliance about Kurosawa is demonstrated in his writing and directing, but but then as well, his sensitivity as a film editor. I'm, I'm really amazed at that. And, of course, as an editor you are and a teacher of editing, uh, this is most impressive to me. So could you please give us some insights into editing the Kurosawa way? Well, yeah, I think um, there's several unusual uh, aspects to uh, uh, Kurosawa, uh, uh, his methods of working, um, his including people uh, in post-production who ordinarily are, are not involved in post-production. Um, he, he would frequently have members of the crew uh, besides the cinematographer, other production people, uh, and actors look at the work he was doing uh, as he began assembling the film, uh, which is very unusual. Most directors feel it's much better uh, to work with the editor because there aren't too many uh, directors who will do their own editing. Uh, and, and so their feeling is better to have the, the cast and crew uh, connected to the immediacy of uh, their work and not to start perhaps uh, getting suggestions uh, or disappointments. Uh, for example, if an actor uh, sees themselves uh, on screen during uh, an edited form or the unedited dailies, uh, they, they might uh, decide to try something different. Uh, they sometimes are aware of what they were thinking about at the moment, uh, and so there's a disconnect that they sense uh, in the character, although nobody else is, is aware of it. Um, and so for that and other reasons, directors try not letting, especially actors, uh, get to see any of the material. He found just the opposite, uh, and it likely had more to do uh, with his ability as a director, um, uh, to let the actors see 
and have an understanding of how this project is being pieced together uh, from the script to production to post-production. Uh, and what he, what he does in production, which I think was quite advanced for the time, uh, was understand the relationship of the camera uh, as a two-dimensional device, uh, and the screen is a two-dimensional venue. But he moves the camera uh, into the space of the characters and the village or the woods or the waterway of the scenes uh, so that we become very much aware of this, the, what is essentially just an illusion of a three-dimensional place, a real place. Uh, and it, it's, it struck me again as kind of a paradox to theater, because in theater there are real actors, they're on a stage, and yet for the most part uh, we view them through a proscenium space, uh, almost a two-dimensional space in a three-dimensional setting, um, and, and what Kurosawa brings to film is here is a two-dimensional presentation as we project an image, but we are very much more engaged in the fullness and full dimension uh, of the space. Uh, and then two other, I think, important scenes in the film uh, that even if one was just wanting to watch something quickly to see just why you should sit and watch the rest of the movie. Uh, there's a scene that's, uh, it's, I think the title in the chapter is called Death of a Thief, uh, and it's the, where the farmers have just about given up on finding samurai. Again, by chance, something's going on in this other little village that they're been, they've been spending some time in. I think they're washing in a, in a small waterway, uh, it's morning, and suddenly a whole group gathers around the stream, uh, and uh, something important is going on, uh, and there is virtually no dialogue in the scene. And it's the scene where the audience meets Kanbei, who is to become the leader of the samurai. He decides to help the farmers, and he decides he will engage other samurai uh, and and he is being prepared uh, by having his top knot samurai top knot cut off changing clothing uh, and of course we wonder what is it that's going on and we find out when uh, some of the villagers and a few other uh, members of the crowd that will then become part of the samurai team find out that a, a thief has kidnapped a little boy and he is holding the little boy, threatening to kill him, uh, in a barn. And Kambei has decided to take off any semblance of his samurai uh, condition uh, and that he is going to rescue the boy. Uh, and so he dresses as a priest, uh, and brings rice to the barn uh, and, you know, catches the thief off guard by just rolling these rice balls in, uh, then rushes in and, of course, rescues the boy. That scene uh, is one of the most masterfully done scenes uh, 
it takes place at the water's edge. It also takes place in the center of this other little village uh, where, where people, where people uh, make their way to see what's happening in the area of the barn and then back again. Uh, that's a very crucial scene uh, to watch and, and just watch the eyes of the characters and, and, and how they offer both the rhythms and the purpose of the cutting. And then one of the other, I think, vital scenes and vital lessons from uh, Kurosawa's work uh, has to do with the scene, and I believe it's called The Scouts, S-C-O-U-T-S. Uh, several bandit scouts make their way uh, to the farmer's village uh, to see about the possibility of attack. Uh, the samurai, of course, don't want the bandits to know there are samurai there, uh, and they, the scouts realize there are. Uh, and Kambe sends uh, uh, three of the samurai, one of whom, Katsushiro, is the youngest, uh, to go and intercept the scouts before they can get back to their horses and warn the bandits. Uh, what Kurosawa does that is brilliant. Is he? This is a great uh, lesson in understanding how we go from, uh, as an audience, being observers, and then instantly to being participants. So instead of simply having two of the samurai, Kikuchio, who is uh, played by Toshiro Mifune, and Kaioso, who is uh, the great swordsman, instead of having only those two go because they are capable of intercepting the bandit. What Kurosawa does is he has Katsushiro plead with Kambe to let him go. He is the youngest, inexperienced, <clears throat> somewhat fragile. Uh, and so Kurosawa says, okay, but you just watch. And this is a brilliant touch. And so what happens, uh, the samurai get to where the horses are before the scouts can get back to their horses. Uh, but Katsushiro makes his way down a bit of a gully, into a field of flowers and reclines in the field to watch while Kikuchio and Cayuso wait for the bandits. Uh, and so Kurosawa plays this as we are ob observing, of course, this setting and this action and these moments in the story, but we are also the participant uh, via Katsushiro watching from below uh, uh, and there's a wonderful series of cuts uh, as Katsushiro's eyes shift left and right, look up and back down again. Uh, that's, that scene alone is probably worth a semester of uh, uh, editing and storytelling and cinema, and cinema art lessons. Right, right. Oh, yes, I remember that scene. It's brilliant. And mm -hmm. we are. We're participants. It's great. It's great. Well, um, any more, any more uh, uh, things that you want to share with us, Richard? Because I, I just wanted to ask you a couple of more questions. Okay. Well, why don't you do that? All right. Well, on page fifty-four of everything I know about filmmaking, you say that Kurosawa unites three noteworthy fundamentals of character: motion, object, and word. And can you elaborate on this? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember reading something by uh, David Mamet, uh, 
uh, long ago. Um, uh, and and uh, what he claimed was that there is no character in a screenplay. And, of course, one would think, what? What is he talking about? Um, uh, and what he's talking about is that on, on paper, there is no character. There is character <clears throat> easily found <clears throat> when you have an actor, and you have an actor in a place, and you have that actor engaged with objects in that place. Uh, and, and what Kurosawa does is he incorporates three, I think, key elements <clears throat> of uh, cinema storytelling, cinema acting, uh, and that is the movement of characters in a place. Uh, at times, it's in conjunction with the movement of a camera. Uh, the characters are engaged with objects. It could be uh, a, a sword in, in Seven Samurai. It also, uh, just in, in, in keeping with uh, offering up some scenes, when the samurai first come to the village, uh, Kambei decides to tour the compass points of the village with a hand-drawn map so as to try to understand what would be the best defense and ultimately what would be the best place to have a weakened to no defense, which he then knows will guarantee that that is where the bandits will attack and therefore they will be ready for that place alone. Uh, and, and so he is carrying uh, this map uh, with some uh, marker that he can uh, make notes uh, uh, on the map. Um, so, and there is dialogue. And what Kurosawa does is incorporate uh, those three elements rather than separate them. Uh, so people walk and talk. Uh, they walk and look at the map and talk. Uh, rather than to see the beats of those moments and those three elements as separate, separate uh, items within the course of a scene. Uh, and that was one of, one of the things I did quite a while ago before I wrote the, what was my first book for Michael, uh, that was I bought, it was a time of VHS tapes, I bought lots of VHS tapes of films I didn't like and tried to find scenes I did and I bought a bunch of VHS tapes of films I did like and tried to find scenes I didn't think were so well done, uh, thinking that, uh, again, the worst, the, the, the worst uh, uh, way of presenting information to a student would be uh, it, it's that uh, something is good or not because I think it's good or not, which is virtually nothing uh, and no, no, no lessons, no teaching there at all, uh, that, that that quality does have to uh, be explained, should be able to be explained. Uh, flaws, weak moments uh, should be able to be understood. Uh, and so what I came to understand in that challenge of films I like and films I don't uh, was that there are uh, nine elements uh, that exist in every single moment of the film or can uh, and how they get integrated has everything to do with uh, inspired editing, inspired post-production. Uh, and then, of course, 
uh, as is the case with filmmaking, the, the post-production uh, should reveal uh, so many wonderful lessons uh, that then can be carried into the next project. You know, that's something Sidney Lumet always talked about, that even if it was a film that he knew in two or three days of production was not going to be very uh, successful critically, that he loved to work and he knew that he always will be learning and what he is learning even on a project that's not quite so wonderful uh, will be able to be used on a project and make it that much better than that might have otherwise been. Um, so th these yes. are some of the ideas, you know, that I, I just uh, came to in, in watching Seven Samurai, I, I, I bet close to 80 times. Oh, my goodness. Well, what are these nine elements? Well, they are uh, story, place, and character. And then uh, it is physical action, which is the movement of the characters in the setting. Uh, physical life, or the engagement with objects. The characters are engaged with objects. Um, and then there is the dialogue. And then the last of the three, uh, or they can they can fall anywhere along the nine, but these three, um, the story plays character, physical life, physical action, dialogue, uh, they are easily, or at least more easily understood in those, in the groupings of three. But, but great filmmaking engages them in an integration uh, where all of them are happening simultaneously. That is, there is no introduction to story, uh, there is no introduction to place, followed by an introduction to character, but rather the story is underway with the place and the character. Uh, and this, of course, is what happens in, in, in Seven Samurai. The story is underway. Uh, we don't have to meet the village or meet the farmers, uh, and then a story begins. Uh, the, the last of the three uh, has to do with how information gets distributed. Uh, that is uh, information known first by the audience, uh, information the audience knows that a character or characters don't know. Uh, so, for example, uh, we know the bandits are planning to invade the village when the next crop is in. The farmers don't, but aha, one of the farmers knows. So now we know the farmers are going to know that the bandits are making a plan and the bandits don't know, the farmers know. Uh, so this is kind of a, a double use of dramatic irony. Uh, then there is information characters know that we don't know. Uh, and, of course, that requires some cueing uh, for the audience to realize a character has figured something out. Uh, the scene uh, with... The, the mapping of the compass point is a good example of that. And Kurosawa also, you see there, integrates several of the other samurai who have begun military training for the farmers. So these are not separate elements in the story. The mapping of the village compass points is happening simultaneously to three or four other samurai teaching the farmers different skills in, in, in defense and martial arts. And then there's information 
that the, the audience and the characters learn simultaneously and how those nine get integrated. And I still hold to this after quite a number of years approaching uh, 15 or 20 since I was thinking about how these things work together. Uh, how those ele nine elements, nine topics, nine codes, I call them, uh, how they get integrated has everything to do with great storytelling and especially visible in uh, inspired film editing. Right. And just give us a little bit of information more about Kurosawa as an editor, because I... I have never really looked at him as an editor. Did he edit all of his own films? Yes, he did. He did. And um, mostly, he, 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 I don't think I've ever uh, read in an interview uh, nor saw uh, in uh, filmed interviews um, where he would uh, encourage film directors to edit their own films but he always encouraged uh, film directors to learn to write uh, and and to read a lot, which is probably going to be uh, something one doesn't find quite so frequently uh, any, anymore. Uh, but he insisted that one should read all of the classics from around the world, uh, and one should always be reading, uh, and one should be experiencing things so as to provide the brain with memory, because it is, he, he thought, only through memory uh, that one has experience uh, to write about, uh, and that directors should write their own screenplays. Uh, I, I, I think because he was such a good writer and storyteller, uh, he probably was somewhat more optimistic than I would be that a director should write their own material. Uh, but he also, and was, and this I, I found to be the most amazing, uh, was an absolute brilliant film editor. Um, his understanding of the rhythms, his understanding of where the eyes of the audience are looking, his understanding of the pacing of a scene, uh, the construction of the, the, the compositions, and, and most especially his interest in getting the camera in, fully into the space, getting the audience by way of the camera, fully into a three-dimensional setting, was is quite remarkable. Yes, it is, Richard, and you're remarkable. I have learned so much in this conversation. I really thank you for this enlightening information on editing, storytelling, and much more. So. We all want to wish you good luck with this book because everything I know about filmmaking I learned watching Seventh Samurai is a brilliant gift to all of us. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for being part of this. Yes. And, Claire, thank you for the introduction, and we hope uh, that all of our listeners will join us again next week to learn about color correction with Sam DeLugage. This is going to be a very hard act for Sam to follow, but I want to tell all of our the filmmakers just keep studying your craft and because there's always so much more to learn and it, and just take to heart what Kurosawa is saying you should learn to write directors should be able to write and they should study acting I think so they understand both sides of the acting directing field 
So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye for now. Take good care, Richard. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions! More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Happy New Year from all of us at Randall's. Let us help your family have better health and wellness in 2017. Randall's is a preferred pharmacy for select Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas plans, helping members save money on certain prescriptions. Need a new pharmacy? With our professional, friendly service and ability to accept most insurance, let us be your new prescription provider. Fill a new or transfer prescription with us and get a $25 gift card. Transferring is easy. Some limitations apply. Ask our friendly pharmacist for details. Randall's Pharmacy, proudly serving Texas families since 1966.